Hello and welcome to Ditching Hourly. I'm Jonathan Stark. Today I am joined by Jim McDonald. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Jonathan. Excited to be here. So I, uh, we, we met, sort of virtually met, at a Tough Love teardown I did maybe last week um, where people would submit their websites or their homepage so I could go down and kind of react to it and make suggestions about like, geez, I, I don't know who this is for. I can't tell what you do. I don't know what you want me to do when I get to this page. And there were maybe 14 or so, it was a dozen or so. And when I came across Jim's, I was like, whoa, this is great. So, and, I, and it's in a space that is different than anybody I've worked with previously. So I, um, I invited Jim to come on the show and kind of talk about how he got to where he is and, uh, and just sort of share that journey. Yeah, I'm happy to. So what Jonathan's talking about, I'm a podiatrist that provides podiatry marketing services uh, for my colleagues. And uh, I was on the Tough Love Teardown just to get his two cents as far as what he thought about my positioning and just making sure my website was on point with kind of my overall value proposition. I went to undergrad in Illinois at a place called Augustana College, uh, did podiatry school for four years in Chicago, surgical residency in Portland, Oregon, the big healthcare system out there. And then worked for five years as a podiatrist, a surgical podiatrist in a big orthopedic surgical clinic. And uh, while I liked that, I had always had a background in building websites and doing some other kind of hobby stuff in the background, but never really saw it as something where I could, uh, you know, make a full-time living off of. Um, you know, I was doing websites for my cross-country teams and some friends in like the late 90s. And there was either you were in computer science, it was not really kind of like a web track necessarily uh where i was at so right. that's how i kind of first got into it is this kind of involvement as far as web design and building websites amazing um okay so let's do a before and after so what was before you made this leap what's what is being a podiatrist like i'd be surprised if we have any on uh, in the audience maybe not but I, I could be wrong but be a little bit surprised what's that what's that lifestyle like what's your yeah, day-to-day like, use like four 10-hour days is it like how does that work? Yeah, generally it's uh, like four eight-hour days in clinic and then one usually a half day or a full day in surgery when you're working at an orthopedic clinic. So, you know, that required, you know, a significant amount of time and training, um, you know, after my undergraduate degree. So you kind of, by the time you're kind of actually into the real world, you know, you're 29, 30 years old, and that's just on a straight path from, you know, going through all those different uh, forms of education. So you're 30 years old, you're kind of finally have your first real job you know, it's not, it's not necessarily easy. You know, you're spending 80 hours a week in residency, you know, excited about the opportunity to treat patients and help people. Um, but you kind of maybe sometimes put the blinders on. Uh, I did that a little bit. And um, yeah, so I started doing some different side hobbies and some different uh, side hustles just because I enjoyed, you know, technology and building websites and uh, especially in the kind of running niche. That's kind of where I jumped into initially is did oh. all these side projects in Eugene, Oregon, which is the host of the USA track and field like Olympic trials. Hmm. So I was doing all these web apps and websites um, in this running niche uh, initially. Oh, interesting. Is that in running is a hobby for you? Yeah. So my dad was like a junior high track and cross country coach. It's kind of, he was a marathoner. We just kind of, I have two brothers who love running and running was this kind of that thing that always bonded us together. And I ran competitively in university and just have a lot of good friends in that area. And just, it was like my hobby. That was kind of my identity growing up was that, you know, Jim McDaniel was a runner. So. Mm -hmm. And then, and when did Jim McDaniel turn into a podiatrist? Is that, I assume they're connected. 
Yeah. So obviously when you're a runner, you have all kinds of, you know, you can have foot and ankle related injuries. And I was looking for a specialty that kind of tied into that love of running and uh, actually was treated by a guy that treated some Olympic champions. And you kind of think, well, maybe I could do something similar where I'm taking care of, you know, injured runners, but also helping other people with their foot and ankle related issues. Interesting. So you, you sound like a natural marketer where you were already seeing like, like you didn't explicitly say it, but I was, ex I was waiting for you to, where you're like, Oh, I could be like a specialist for, you know, Olympic or extreme, not extreme, but, um, world-class athletes, uh, who are into this thing that I'm into. And then guess what? <laughs> and then it, someone who's an avid runner is all of a sudden, you know, potentially making a very nice living treating rock stars in this space that they care about, like people they know. Yeah, that was definitely my initial dream. Um, and it's funny because I, when I moved down and started practicing with this group in Eugene, uh, the one of the guys on staff there is actually the guy that, tr that treated Steve Prefontaine, like oh, the yeah. big Nike guy. So, Even I know who that is. So, and this is also <laughs> a guy that uh, did arthroscopic knee surgery on uh, the first Olympic women's marathon champion, uh, Joan Benoit Samuelson. So there's this, the group had a, a great pedigree and it's still a very great group. But what I found is that um, maybe it's my personality or just the way I'm, I'm wired. Um, I don't, you don't really see runners when they're doing well. Uh, you see them when they come in, they're banged up. Uh, they've seen three other specialists. They can't run. They're frustrated. And you're seen as that person that can, you know, put all the pieces back together and get them running again. And, and while you can do that, sometimes it, it can take a toll on you when you're not ultimately successful with every patient you see. So I decided I wanted to kind of switch things up and, you know, kind of go to that happier side of running, uh, maybe. Right, right, right. Oh, that makes and, sense. And that's why I got involved in all these kind of like different technology product projects and, su and such. Okay, so when did you pivot into, I mean, that's a giant identity shift. Like, oh, <laughs> hey, everybody, I'm going to be a doctor and, you know, 10 years of like, say, roughly your 20s is spent doing that. And then you're like, oh, I'm going to be a marketer now. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say it was easy or that it happened overnight. I think, you know, the media and things you see uh, that are portrayed in the, uh, you know, stories you hear is this, you know, people flip a switch and then they found what they loved and then they were successful right away. But honestly, <laughs> it's been a decade of uh, just gradually educating myself on, you know, different skills. Um, you know, so I started, I would say the, these ideas came around 2008 where Eugene was hosting the Olympic track and field trials. And I was looking for an iPhone application that could give me up-to-date news about, you know, what's going on um, and the different media sources available uh, all in one place. Um, you know, this is kind of before like the app, the app store was just kind of getting going. Um, the mobile experience on most websites was garbage. <laughs> so I thought, well, maybe I can put together like an aggregating running news app that would uh, through some developers since I had money from my uh, profession so I could work as like the project manager and maybe make some traction in that realm. So that was kind of the first kind of uh, aha moment where I can combine something that I like with tech in a way that maybe I can make a business out of or experiment and learn some skills with. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then what happened next? Yeah. So that was called track geek. Uh, I think I started kind of getting into the realm of what you call uh, going in a, a million different direction, an inch in a million different directions, mm -hmm. um, which can be good for educating yourself and learning things, uh, but not necessarily for building a sustainable business model. So in order to promote the app, I started writing again and blogging and creating po a podcast in 2010 about running news, um, along with being a physician at the same time. So I was pretty tapped out from a time perspective. I didn't have kids then, but at the same time, I had I was making some traction, but it wasn't, like you said, like it's a little bit of progress in about a million different directions. Right. 
Okay. Yeah. Kind of exploratory. And you had, uh, you know, a, a solid salary coming in from the profession. So it's like, oh, you can play around. Um, I, I'm dying. I'm just, it's a tangent. I'm dying to know, maybe you could just give us like a, a minute on what your experience was like working uh, with a developer to create that app. Or did you do it yourself? Yeah. So I did all the kind of marketing and I would say like kind of the I was the project manager, right? I found the graphic designer to make the 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 all important icon for the app. Because <laughs> uh, I thought that you know, if I have a cool icon, then obviously it's gonna just start, you know, it's gonna start making so a lot of up, money. Right. Oh, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I can't remember exactly how I searched for them, but I ended up going to some outfit in the Ukraine um, who was, you know, the the concept of what a milestone is like from a biology major, <laughs> like wasn't necessarily like uh, kind of what I you know, had ever expected. Obviously they did all the work up until exactly what I told them to do. But since there was no, never any buy-in on their end, you know, I constantly had to feed the machine with dollars in order to get the next thing built. And with an app that's, con you know, when a platform like iOS or Android is constantly updating, you have to make sure the app is updated and it just became you know, hemorrhaging cash for all these updates and stuff and uh, the app really wasn't making that much money. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I learned a lot, um, uh, but uh, yeah, lessons learned for sure. Right. Okay. I was like, I was always curious about how the, that experience goes and what you just described is unfortunately pretty common. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so was there a moment when you were like, I'm doing this, I'm going to switch. I mean, there must've been a moment, I, I assume you're not still practicing medicine, right? Like, Right. That's, that's correct. Yeah. So obviously there's a lot of, uh, I mean, I wouldn't say it maybe sounds extreme, but a little bit of guilt and shame. You know, you put in a decade of work, you have this identity you've built as Dr. McDonald, mm -hmm. you know, you want uh, your family, friends, and everyone to make sure that you're okay. Uh, <laughs> so you sometimes have to put on a shield of armor. Um, and it's, you know, I enjoyed treating patients and my colleagues and I lived in pretty much like a running paradise, right? So this is not, you know, woe is me, but I just honestly, I wasn't happy um, being in clinic from eight to four, eight to five, and not necessarily being in charge of what I wanted to do and what I want to do with some of these side projects. So um, I decided, you know, at that point in time, around 2008, 2009, I'm going to find a way to build up my skills to make myself marketable. So I'm not just taking a huge leap here. Um, and around that time, I met a a wonderful young woman from uh, from Montreal with a huge French accent um, who was doing a postdoctoral research fellowship at the University of Oregon. And she got an opportunity to uh, move back to her hometown of Montreal and become a professor at one of the local universities. And I saw that as my opportunity to kind of um, to change things up. So um, it was in part due to her um, and her opportunity that gave me the courage to move to Montreal and kind of reinvent myself for lack of a better term. Hmm. Okay. And how did that go? Like, what was the, I mean, I, I'm sure it wasn't like, uh, like you said, flip a switch and all of a sudden, boom. Um, well, actually, before we even, t even go there, did you, did you, or is there even a path to specialize in podiatry where you don't have to do, like, could you have changed your lifestyle, but still stayed a doctor? You just were like over it. I think you're completely right. I think I was at that time, I was pretty fed up um, with kind of like the way I was feeling about the work. I, I mean, uh, like my profession or my place in my profession. Mm -hmm. And I maybe had, again, I had blinders on as far as exploring different opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, obviously there's a lot of shame, right? As well. So you don't necessarily want to like advertise the fact that you're not happy and you're looking for other stuff when you're part of a really great group and a great group of people. Yeah. Um, 
but at the same time, I, I had I saw kind of a path that I wanted to follow. For better or for worse, I kind of come from a long line of kind of independent people that uh, are kind of a little headstrong. So I think that there's there's good things about that and there's bad things about that. Like my grandfather was a kind of a solo farmer. You know, he was a World War II vet. Came back from seeing friends, uh, you know, decimated on a by a kamikaze on his uh, uh, aircraft carrier, and basically decided at that point in time. You know, he's going to live his life the way he wanted to, um, yeah. despite maybe what my grandmother wanted to do or my, my mom and her sister would like to do. But so I kind of that's kind of my DNA. Right. So um, but I saw a path there and I maybe would, have expl- you know, looking back, I would have explored more. Um, but at the same time, it, you know, moving to my wife's you know, country and province and learning French and maybe trying to make a way for myself uh, up here. Um, it seemed like an exciting opportunity uh, and a way to kind of make the transition continue to be more gradual. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, that's great. Okay. And so what what were, uh, it doesn't sound like there's a strong dividing line, but do you have like a milestone moment in the sort of launch of the new business that for you signaled the kind of public acknowledgement or was it, is there really nothing like that? Yeah. So I think even when I moved to Canada, right? So that's 2011. We're talking about almost nine years ago. Um, I was bouncing around from communications and marketing jobs, trying to find the right fit. And it wasn't until basically uh, 20, I would say like May of 2019, when I had a couple of really close associates, uh, podiatrists in the US who came to me and said, Hey, Jim, you know, we saw on LinkedIn that you're doing marketing now. You know, I have this marketing agency I'm working with. I have no idea what they're doing. Um, they're spending $4,000 a month on things like social media management. We're not seeing any kind of like real results generated. Like, I don't know how to figure this stuff out. Will you come help me? Um, and then it was, kind of, so it was kind of the aha moment. It was like, okay, I built up these uh, technical and marketing skills. I have this podiatry network of people that I know and I like and that trust me. Like, mm-hmm. let's, let's make a go of it and see if like I can provide them real results and value um, and help them feel a, a little better about, you know, the ways they're looking for kind of their ideal patients. Hmm. Awesome. Wow. So, okay. So uh, big takeaways there are strong professional network of people who already trust you. They noticed that you had, you said something on, on LinkedIn that made your positioning really clear and they, and they had a pain that aligned with that. That's exactly it. That's exactly it, uh, Jonathan. Like, so, you know, I, I was pretty proactive when I first got on LinkedIn. I was not necessarily a, work, a, a network I was that into. Um, but at the same time, I decided, okay, like one way I could get visibility is I could ba- make a post and then just basically outreach to everyone in my network and just have them, you know, either ask them to like comment or like, because I know that algorithms will gain momentum. And then maybe, you know, three other podiatrists who don't know me will see it and think that, oh, I mean, I'll give this guy a try. Mm-hmm. Um, and while that initially helped, I, I, my kind of network is strong, but you know, um, I could probably handle somewhere between six to eight clients and that netted me maybe in the realm of like three or four. Um, but the real struggle thing I'm working on now is like, how do I, obviously I wanna make sure my network is stays strong, but how do I kind of take someone kind of from a bridge from not knowing or liking me or trusting me over to a place where I'm giving them monthly services and, and things that value them. Right. Yeah. It's like, uh, I, I've heard a number that I think is probably right. Like my gut instinct, I think is it's correct that any, in any group of people, roughly 3% are, uh, currently seriously considering buying something. 
So if you're standing in front of a room of 100 people and you said, how many people are thinking about, are like seriously shopping for a car right now? You get three hands. How many people are seriously looking for a new marketing agency right now? You'll get three hands. How many people are seriously thinking about remortgaging their house? Three hands. So it's it's kind of like how, do you know, if you, even if your network is 100 podiatrists getting three that are like currently thinking about buy, you know buying the thing that you sell it's probably about right <laughs> so no that's you're, you're right you're right on the, the ball there the people that reached out to me like i said one was completely fed up with their marketing agency the other one knew that they had a bad website and wanted to have it like kind of build trust and uh extend the professionalism of kind of what their clinic was mm -hmm. um so yeah it's just it's a timing and a network combination so what do you do along the way to, to stay in touch and, and keep warm relationships with the other 97 out of a hundred? Like, is there anything that you do, you know, blogging, podcasting now that that's valuable to them, you know, in a free, it's free. It's like some sort of free content that you share and you uh, kind of nurture those leads until some point in the future when they are looking for a change to their website or their you know, whatever their marketing is. No, exactly. And that's kind of the piece I'm working on right now. I do have a relatively small email list where I'm emailing Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, uh, kind of in uh, giving them some ideas about kind of how this kind of shit, this kind of digital shift is happening, you know, in mm -hmm. medicine, whether it's online scheduling or uh, contactless payments around, you know, going into a doctor's office during COVID-19, mm -hmm. giving them some ideas that they can, if they want to implement themselves, they're welcome to. Um, but just giving them some helpful tips or guides. Like I have, I've done some blogging, like I have the, like a podiatrist guide to Google my business, mm -hmm. um, you know, things like that. Uh, also, you know, I've kind of gotten serious about getting a CRM and uh, basically starting kind of what I, you know, these aren't cold relationships that are so I would, I would probably would call it like lukewarm outreach where I'm kind of reaching back out to me. Some of the people that, you know, six or 12 months ago did that LinkedIn post with me mm -hmm. uh, and saying, you know, Hey, just to let you know, like, here's what's going on, you know, in a very like relatively soft touch, um, but also giving them some value, maybe looking to see where they're at uh, with some mobile tools like mobile Moxie or something to kind of see what kind of ads are being run in their area, show them kind of where they rank, uh, like in Google search results or something. And then they can use that to know where they are and, you know, maybe can benefit their practice. So that's a combination of email, uh, you know, an email newsletter, email outreach. And then the third thing I'm doing is, uh, you know, virtual conferences are kind of the big thing. And since I have the letters DPM, uh, doctor of podiatric medicine behind my, my last name, I can usually get into places that other marketing marketers or marketing agencies can. I can talk at some of these podiatry state or national associations. Yeah, that's amazing. So the, you know, I, I guess it, one way you could put that is you're inside the tribe or you've got, uh, like Seth would say, you're one of the tribe, uh, Seth Godin, um, Philip Morgan would say you've got an unfair advantage, air quotes unfair. And and the, 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 the fact that, yes, you've got DPM after your name, which is automatically going to be a credibility indicator. It's going to set you apart. You're going to be different than like 99.69s of every other. Like how many, how many podiatrists are gone into marketing? One. <laughs> I mean, how many could there be? And the, the, um, the fact that you know, you probably know just from the 10-year 20s, what are the important conferences? What are the trade journals? What do they read? What do podiatrists think? You're inside a practice. 
what what were the challenges like you know um it, not like you can read their minds but you've certainly walked a mile in their shoes no pun intended and you know how they think like you'll know the language they use for their pains you'll know the language that they use when they're looking to find someone like you and don't even know how to ask for it so the the idea and and here's the takeaway for the dear listener when you're thinking about here's what i hear all the time somebody says to me i i agree with you about niching down on a particular audience and sort of you know catching fish in a barrel instead of in the ocean but which one should i pick and my advice is like the one you know and if that's like and that could be problematic for all sorts of reasons because like a lot of times people will say wow they don't have any money so what like what what were some of the fears that you had if any in 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 niching down on podiatrists and getting so specific because your your head big h1 headline on your website is i help podiatrists grow their practices not you know list the doc list all the other doctors like no just podiatrists yeah, so I'd say I'd have to I have to thank both you and uh, Philip for that. Um, I've I've worked with Philip a little bit in the past, and to be honest, my my website used to be called kindeagle.com. <laughs> Explains the logo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, no, it just it just made sense to me after he kind of talked talked to me about it, and I've read some of his things. But you know, if I want to speak directly to a persona or or to a real one of my colleagues. You know, I have to use very specific terms and things that they'll understand. And you know, talking to everybody, it gets so diluted. And uh, it's every every doctor, you know, everyone's got their own little specialty, right? So I, yeah. and, and if so, if I try to be all things to all people, especially as a solopreneur and as a uh, and like an agency of one in a way, uh, or a strategic agency of one, uh, it's just gonna fall flat when I try to like put anything out into the world. So in order for it to have real impact and speak to those people specifically. Um, that, it just made sense for me to keep that super targeted uh, niche of podiatry. I, you know, I have friends who are dentists, and I've given them advice and things. But um, and honestly, if, if things, if some amazing client came along that was worth it for me, you know, maybe I would consider doing it on the back end. But my, but my upfront marketing, my own focus is going to be on podiatry because I don't want to go and learn what are the keywords in like for a periodontist, right? Like. <laughs> That's going to take me an extra uh, six or eight hours that week or to write good copy for a periodontist is just not something I'm going to do really that well. You know, I'd, I'm probably better off sending that to a dental marketing agency and then having them send me a podiatrist and they come across one or something. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, so here's and now here's someone from the outside. So me, when I, I this I'm just hit in the face with this bold headline and it immediately triggers what I call a Rolodex moment where it's specific enough for me to say oh do i know any podiatrists if you said i help medical professionals i hate medical professionals like come <laughs> on what is that medical professionals are healthcare uh no what's the there's a healthcare version of healthcare provider healthcare provider yeah 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 thank you it's just like well i i probably know 40 50 100 like it's not specific enough it's like saying it's like a waiter coming up to your table and saying, would you like food? We have food. It's like, uh, yeah, that's why I'm in the restaurant. But can you be more specific? Or like, what do you want for dinner? And it's like, I don't know. What do we have? You know, you can't. It's hard to just pick something out of the air if it's very, very vague. And so now here's what happened when I saw this headline. 
I had a Rolodex moment and I said, do I know any podiatrists? The answer was no, but, and this is important, I said in my head, but I know a hand surgeon <laughs> and you know, you know, like, well, so what the point of this is, it's up to Jim. If I said, Jim, I don't know any podiatrist, but I know a hand surgeon and he's awesome and you're awesome. And I don't know if he needs what you do, but he might, or he might have someone else in his practice, you know, whatever. He might know someone in his professional network that could help. And it's up to Jim, dear listener, if he wants to pursue that. And like, like you said, kind of on the back end, like behind the scenes, like, uh, you know, I'm not super busy next month. I'll talk to him. Maybe you know a little bit about hand surgeons, or maybe he's just an interesting guy to know. Maybe he knows podiatrists, but I had the Rolodex moment about someone who's not in your target market, which I, I think is like a very important takeaway for people. Because if, if you had just said medical professionals or healthcare providers, I wouldn't have come up with anyone. I would have been like, um, I don't know, like the lady that helped, like I brought my puppy to the vet, like does she count? Like it's just so vague not, right it's just so it's vague. Too vague right yeah. it's just too vague it's like do you want food <laughs> okay so what well what's but so now I'm, I'm sort of putting words in your mouth though like what is your experience like does that happen with other people do you find that you get uh, organic introductions do you see any any um i mean you don't have you well i guess you did have a sort of more vague positioning before when it was called the eagle thing that i can't even remember um but you switched over to podiatry growth like the logo is of an eagle which is i can see as a growth icon and it says podiatry growth the domain name is podiatry growth and the headline is i help podiatrists grow their practice does anybody wonder who you your target market is no people listening to this are probably having a rolodex moment right now so but have you seen any actual benefits from that or can you tell if that has actually helped you or if it's just me saying this is what people should do no, I think there's definitely some benefit, right? I think uh, for better or worse, like people like to be catered to on an individual basis. And when people see that I just work with podiatrists or feel that that is who I work with, then I, I do get that. Obviously, the podiatrists kind of are attracted to that aspect of things. And it gives me some, you know, uh, authority in that niche. But there are other people that do have questions, right? You know, I've got a number of questions about like, you know, help, like I said, with the dentists and other people in my network, they're curious about some of the, you know, different things I offer. I don't push very hard on kind of like the services side of things. I don't think people just want, like doctors just want to get more patients or specific types of patients into their clinic. They don't really care how you do it as long as you're doing it in a cost-effective manner. Mm -hmm. um, but there are people that are like, oh, I, what is that thing? I I searched for this thing on Google and my clinic shows up on the right with this ugly picture. <laughs> like, how do I... You know, do you know, do, do you do that? Do you do that? Like, uh, do I get to choose which photos? Like, am I in control of that? Like, yes, that's called Google My Business and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, there's, it, it does lead to different, different um, forms of conversation. I don't know if it's been necessarily like a huge magnet for other specialists to come and say, hey, Jim, do my stuff. But um, that's part of my, my challenge or my opportunity is to kind of like take people, like I mentioned, like take people from not knowing me or being a little skeptical of this. I think in medicine, there can be a element of skepticism around things, um, marketing or advertising related. You know, I think a lot of people get into medicine so they can avoid, you know, quote unquote selling. Um, even though when you convince a patient to do surgery with them, like you're basically selling. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's kind of showing that you're, you're worthy of trust. That's, I think that's the thing I want to build out and that, 
you know, I'm happy to share information with people so they can learn things um, on their own to make sure it's legitimate. Um, if they don't have time for it, I can, you know, help help them, you know, with strategy or implementation. But it's it's, a, it's an education piece, I think, that a lot of, you know, medical, you know, healthcare providers and podiatrists see themselves as like above some of that stuff. And they don't necessarily, you know, you put your head down, you work hard, and then the patients just kind of show up. Um <laughs> But I think as things have shifted to digital, I think people are a little bit more aware that you can't totally ignore this and you have to have a proactive plan in place as long as it's you know effective and ethical. So yeah, you segued right into my next thing. So I wanted to talk about some specifics around the target market that you've chosen uh, because they're the, the sorts of things that come up with, uh, I, I hear all the time, like, uh, you know, I suggest to people that pick an audience that they know where they have an unfair advantage, where they're an insider, they're a member of the tribe. And if you have something to, if they have a pain that you can address, then sell to them. And and a lot of people will be like, well, yeah, but they don't have any money. And it's like, okay, we'll sell them something less expensive that, you know, whatever. So that's a separate conversation. So I, I want you to pull back the curtain on podiatrist practices to the extent that you can because when I go to when I go to the doctor and I look around at all the stuff in that office, I'm like, how much freaking money are they paying per month to keep this place running? I mean, the amount of equipment and people and just artwork and, you know, like framing all of these diplomas in every room, like you name it. It looks like it costs millions of dollars to set up a practice. Am I totally off base or like, how does that even work? Yeah, it's going to really depend on the practice, right? Um, and kind of like whether or not they're associated with the big healthcare system, uh, you know, the the types of procedures they're doing, you know, um, there's some, you know, people can get even, you know, your hand surgeon friend, for example, mm-hmm. like some people can get so niche down, like maybe he's a carpal tunnel specialist. And some of these orthopedic surgeons that see carpal tunnel will do, you know, they'll line up seven or eight cases a day. Um, so they can just, you know, really, really uh, subspecialize into doing these procedures that pay very, very well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it can be a bit of a moving target, right? Um, for some of these patients, you know, Medicare, or insurance providers kind of set a cap for what they're willing to pay for different things. So, you know, it's it's not as lucrative as it used to be to be in private practice, but I specifically go after um, or and try to like, you know, my, my kind of go-to client is a, um, you know, a private practice owner who um, does some surgery, does some clinic, um, and that is willing to spend, you know, in the ballpark of $2,000 a month uh, on marketing um, systems and methods that actually, you know, pr- provide real results. So that, that $2,000 mark has kind of been my kind of bellwether. I don't mind going down a little bit lower than that or a little bit higher, but that seems to be kind of the average for the, for the, for the amount of services they really need. Obviously we could spend $10,000 a month in marketing if we wanted to, but you know, when you spend 2000 bucks plus a little bit of Google ads spend like that, that's going to be the sweet spot for most of the people I'm working with. Okay. So let me push a little bit deeper on this because I'm picturing my dermatologist. I have like the worst skin in the world. I always have to have something sliced off me. It, and I go to this dermatologist's office and I'm in there for like, I mean, he's with me for like 10 minutes maybe, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and but I'm, I'm sitting in this chair that must have cost $5,000. Right. How do you set up a private practice? Like you just came out of business, or business school. You just came out of medical school. You probably have giant loan. I mean, I have doctors in the family. I know what the loans look like. 
And like, what do you do? Like, do you just, where does the money come from for you to buy that, you know, five, $5,000 chairs and pay rent on a 8,000 square foot office and hire sure. these people? Like, how do you yeah. get, how does someone get started? Because here's what I'm imagining. This is what I'm getting at. They seem like they're broke. <laughs> I'm looking around and I'm like, how could you make any money here? Yeah, no, I, I don't. I definitely understand that that perspective, and uh, it's funny that I'm doing what I'm doing now, though, because I would say that I, I didn't have any of those experiences you're curious about. So when I finished residency, I joined a group of 16 orthopedic surgeons that kind of you know as an associate, right? So I had no overhead. I didn't have to buy anything. I was making you know six figures right out of um, out of residency. Okay. And, and I was not even touching. Uh, I remember when the woman who did the marketing for the practice came and talked about doing a brand new website for us, kind of interested in hearing what she had to say, but not involved in any way with the decision-making being kind of a junior associate in the practice. So, I mean, I, I would say, you know, it's going to vary between specialties, but I would say from dentist, to, uh, you know, podiatrist, to any kind of specialist, mm-hmm. it's probably going to make in the ballpark of, you know, on the low end, like $150,000, like, mm-hmm. you know, take home mm-hmm. to like, you know, you have uh, orthopedic surgeons or really specialized folks maybe making in the ballpark of seven hundred to $800,000 a year. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe not millions, but definitely in the high six figures, I would say if that, that gives you a little better of an idea. Yeah. Okay. So, so certainly there's a, certainly there's money to be spent if there is a need, if they perceive a need and what, what's the need they perceive? I know you, you said it quickly earlier, you know, more patients and, and better patients, but what would cause someone to, is it a financial pressure that causes, what's the pressure that causes them to start thinking, geez, I need more patients. Cause you know, we're not at capacity. That one's kind of obvious, but it's been a long time since I've called up a doctor that didn't, wasn't seeming to be at capacity. They seem like they're pretty busy. Uh, but you tell me. And then the other thing is like someone who wants a more specific kind of patient. So like what what's the tension or what's the hunger or the itch that they want to scratch when they start thinking, I should start worrying about my marketing? No, that's a very good point. And like you said earlier, like it is one of those things where they want to be seen as the expert in their own little subspecialty. Like, like I mentioned, uh, if I wanted to be seen as like the sports medicine or the running podiatrist, um, you can kind of use marketing uh, in a way to show, you basically want to show the type of patients you want to treat. And that's what I try to tell the people I work with is that Mm. you don't want to go to, you don't want your website to look like it's empty treatment rooms. Um, It's, you know, it's, it's like a huge long bio that you're expecting people to read through to, to see that you did, you worked at the Chicago marathon one time. Um, <laughs> you want it to be blatantly obvious when they land on your page or uh, they, they, they see themselves in the patient chair for your ideal client and, and patient. Right. And, and they have an aha moment when they hear that. And then they say, Oh yeah, like that's what I want. Or, you know, sometimes if there's a huge step off between kind of the, their overall brand, let's say they spent a huge amount of money on, a website or they have spent a huge amount of money inside their clinic, but the, either the clinic or the website is just, there's a step off. It doesn't like, is this the same place that I found online? If there's not an extension of that mm-hmm. environment or patient status, you know, that patient experience that yeah, kind of transitions from the online to offline world. Um, and that's how I try to explain it to, pay, uh, to, to doctors about that. 
Um, so you have to kind of craft more than just like, I'm a doctor, I'll see anything if you want to specialize. Also, mm -hmm. I think this is probably more urgency in kind of an urban or suburban area with competition. Um, you know, if there's people that are already running Google ads or um, there's other people that are ha that have a good looking website who you feel like are your competitors mm -hmm. or treating the kind of patients you want to treat, there's some natural competitiveness that you can kind of come yeah. in and try to help them with. Status thing. Okay. So I, I could definitely see that with the, you know, uh, just in general with doctors I know and also just doctors in general. It's like, yeah, you could see the status thing. To me, that feels, you know, um, well, whatever. That, that could be, for some people, would, it's high value. Some people, it's low. I would also say it's not necessarily just status, but like, it's like with keywords in a, in a local area, right? There's only going to be so many searches on podiatrists near me per day or per month. Mm -hmm. And there's only going to be so many marathon runners that are looking for someone to heal their, you know, heal their heel pain or something. Mm -hmm. So like, it's, can you get that visibility to like be the option, um, what either through SEO or through paid or whatever you want to do to like get that patient to make an appointment with you because there's not an unlimited amount of those patients in your local area. Right. Yeah. If you're trying to like hyper-specialize. Right. I mean, ideally, I don't know for sure, but in general, ideally you would want people flying from all over the world to come to you. You'd want to be like the world, you know, you want pictures of like LeBron James in your chair. <laughs> no, for and, sure. Right. And like specialize in like NBA play, like the go-to person. Well, for... the, the, the guy I saw as a high schooler, he had treated Sebastian Coe, who's like the 1984 Olympic, uh, 800 meter, uh, Olympic champion. Mm -hmm. Uh, so this guy, we used to travel two and a half, three hours up to Chicago to mm -hmm. go see uh, this guy named John Dirk or uh, yeah, John Durkin as a mm -hmm. podiatrist. So like, yeah, there is that building your authority with the kind of right relationships and the type of people you treat. Right. Yeah. I, I know somebody who's, who's legally blind and she travels hours to see her, her eye doctor who's extremely well-known globally. Yeah. And it, it's like, yeah, I'm going to that guy. It's my eyes or it's my feet and I'm an NBA player. I'm not fooling around. Uh, so if that's so okay so i get it so you can s sort of that's the kind of practice that's the kind of practice i want to run and it's not going to happen from people googling podiatrists near me like, right that's a that's a different kind of client like lebron james isn't googling clients near me no exactly and, and i keep saying lebron james because it's literally the only athlete's name that i know <laughs> not a that's joke. okay <laughs> um okay so i noticed on your website so your website is like to bring it back to the beginning the website is shockingly good um, you can't have, I'm curious, like what, what other th mm, education did you do to, to sort of land on this design? Did you do it? Did someone else do it? How did you create this website? Yeah. So this is hundred percent me like, uh, but you know, I try to look at people or practices or, you know, providers of kind of similar types of services that I provide mm -hmm. uh, and see kind of what is the, you know, what are the calls to action or how are they trying to build their own authority? You know, it's a lot of experts of experts, you know, people like mm -hmm. yourself and Philip and David C. Baker and right. Blair Enns and all these guys, uh, Liston Witherell, yep. uh, guys like that, that I, you know, you know, and also some women like uh, Rochelle on your podcast is someone mm -hmm. that I think does a really good job as well. So I'm not just, when I say guys, I mean both men and women, right. um, <laughs> just to be clear. Mm -hmm. uh, so learning from those websites, looking at, uh, you know, going through the, the tough love teardown was honestly very helpful for me. Mm -hmm. I probably did 
a lot of minor tweaks during the previous calls that you were tearing people up on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I noticed a few people were doing that. Like as I was tearing through a website, a bunch of other people were well, updating the, the, theirs. The funny, the funny thing is that when you did that, um, like you then like at some point you decided to load everybody's website in a line. Yeah. And like I got done right before you did that, but there were some people behind me that I was telling them like, hey, <laughs> like tell Jonathan to refresh your website. Right. So you can see the real changes. So. Yeah, I didn't see that chat until later. I, so I, that never occurred to me. But next time, I will. I will not <laughs> load them all up first because for that exact reason. Oh, that was funny. That was really because I read the chat after and I was like, "Oh, that must have been so frustrating." I'm like reviewing the the five minute old version of the site, not the new one. Well, I know they got a bunch of value out of it, but yeah, that's that's kind of how I went about it. And, uh, you know, what the things I've learned, obviously, I, I had one consultation call with Philip about my positioning and then just seeing what other people are doing and try to use some of those best practices in ways that I felt like are relevant to my audience and kind of what I'm trying to provide them. Obviously, one of the big takeaways for me is just like, number one, don't like talk about yourself, talk about the problems or the the kind of the solutions that people, you know, for their own issues and that you're kind of a conduit of that. Yeah. Um, you know, I can, like I said, I'm happy to like, kind of, I mean, I don't want to give away all the strategy, but I'm happy to give away like a lot of useful information if people are really want to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and I, like, cause I think that's the thing that kind of leads to some mistrust is like, they don't, they don't know what these marketing agencies are doing. They're not telling them what they're doing. And if I could just be an open source of information to let them know what's going on, you know, they'd rather operate on a foot or see two extra patients today, as opposed to sit down and try to do local SEO on their own <laughs> website. So I'm not, I'm not too worried that someone's going to drop out and do what I did in a way. Yeah, exactly. It's like if somebody, if somebody is willing to DIY it, what it, that says to me is they've got more time than money and probably wouldn't make a very profitable client. They're not ready to engage with someone on a one-on-one -on -one level or a consultative level because there's stuff that there's low hanging fruit that they can do on their own. They don't need to pay me. Yeah, exactly. So that's where all the free materials come in. And, and once someone comes along and it's just like, this has been great, but now I've got more money than time because it's working. So let me see about getting some more of an accelerated uh, path and spend a little bit more money up front to get quicker results. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I hope people have found this instructive. I, I, I especially wanted Jim to have you come on the show because listening to someone who's outside of their, their normal industry a lot of times there's no skin in the game and it's it, it's a lot easier to observe the benefits of having a hyper focused positioning and and you know being picking an audience that you're a member of and you understand their language and their hopes and dreams and fears and worries and you know and when it's not a software client or it's not some example from the software world uh, then it, I think a lot of times people are like, oh, obviously, yeah, that's way better than than healthcare providers. But I just way better than healthcare providers. But then when the when the when they're in the hot seat, they're like, no, I can help anybody. I can I can help plastics manufacturers and it's pet scary, shops right? And it's it can be scary. Like uh, it's not just like it took me a long time to kind of convince myself that this is the right path. Hmm. Um, but I'm very happy that where, where, where things are at now and where they're going now. Awesome. Great. Well, where can people go to uh, maybe get in touch with you to ask you follow-up questions? Do you have a Twitter account or if you're willing to put yourself out there that way? 
Yeah, no, I'm happy to answer any questions, whether they're podiatry based or not. Um, you can reach me, Jim at podiatrygrowth.com. I'm on Twitter, J McDonald, my last name, M-C-D-A-N-N-A-L-D, not to be confused with McDonald. Uh, but yeah, you, you can reach me on email or Twitter, usually the best two, best, best two places. Great. And if you know a podiatrist that wants to get more specific kind of clients, <laughs> reach out to Jim. All right. Much this appreciate been, Jonathan. I, 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 thanks for coming on. I really appreciate the time. Yeah. Thanks so much. All right, folks, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark, and I hope you join me again next time for Ditching Hourly. Bye. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one -on -one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one -on -one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com call. Hope to see you there. Hey, Jonathan again. Do you have questions about how to improve your business? Things like value pricing your work instead of billing for your time, or positioning yourself as the go-to person in your space, or maybe productizing your services so you never have to have another awkward sales call or spend hours writing another custom proposal. Book a one-on-one -on -one coaching call with me and get answers to these questions and others in the time it takes you to get ready for work in the morning. Best of all, you're covered by my 100% satisfaction guarantee. If at the end of the call, you don't feel like it was worth it, just say the word and I'll refund your purchase in full. To book your one-on-one -on -one coaching call, go to jonathanstark.com slash call, C-A-L-L. That URL again is jonathanstark.com slash call. Hope to see you there.